Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Ryan, and I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Brooklyn, what we like to call God's favorite borough. Reason we, <laughs> reason we do that is we say God loves people, and it's the largest borough in Brooklyn. I mean, in, in New York, so we call it God's favorite borough. Um, but greetings to you. We're glad that we're here and got have an opportunity to be with you all. It's always good to, one, get out of the city. It's nice to get at a little bit slower pace. It's awesome. I always know when we get out of the city because the roads go from like feeling like you're driving on gravel and hitting potholes to just nice and smooth. And I could almost just have my eyes closed and be like, we're out of the city because uh, it's just a nice change all the way around. But we're glad that we get a chance to be with you all and to worship with extended family. And um, let's... Uh, Let's look at uh, the text that we have before us this morning. It is John chapter 8. If you want to look at it in a pew Bible, it is um, 895, or it's printed for you in the bulletin. Hear, hear the word of the Lord this morning. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps your, my word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is, it is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, Are you not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus answered, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. <coughs> so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. These are the words of the Lord. They're given to you in love. And brothers and sisters, they're absolutely true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it shines into the dark places of our world. It shines into the dark places of our lives. And we ask this morning that it shines in our hearts. That we can see to know the truth, the truth of who Jesus is. And that by that truth, we would be molded and shaped into the image of he who loves us and who has called us according to his purpose. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we jump into this, I think it's appropriate for you and I to kind of just see where this passage is in the landscape of John's gospel. Um, in the first six, six chapters, things are going pretty easy for Jesus. He's going from seemingly from success to success. Um, 
there are people coming, there are large crowds following him. He is performing miracles, he is teaching God's word, he is telling people about the kingdom of God without opposition. It seems as though, and things are good. But after the feast, after he feeds the 5,000, this beautiful big picnic, God begin, Jesus begins to talk about himself, the body and his blood, as food and his drink. And when he begins to teach these things, all of a sudden, a hole shows up. Tensions begin to rise. Pressure begins to mount. People are confused and upset and angry. And they leave. After that Jesus says these things, his disciple, everyone that was following him leaves at that moment. And he looks at his disciples and said, are you going to leave me too? And we find ourselves now in the midst of this pressure cooker. Chapters 7 and 8 are one long discussion between Jesus and the religious leaders. It is one long, hard, difficult discussion. And what we can see in this, these two chapters is the swelling of tension. And our passage that we have for this morning is the culmination of this very hard sayings of Jesus. Following Jesus is a great thing. Following Jesus is a wonderful thing. Following Jesus is, is, I think, the best thing that we can do. But following Jesus sometimes isn't easy. And this text is going to remind us of that. It's going to remind us that it could be a little difficult. There could be some uncertainty. There could be some confusion. There could be some pressure mounting and, 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 and some tension and this whole chapter is about Jesus and his ways and the world and its ways. And you can see these two worlds colliding and they're coming together. And there's almost an explosion going on. Have you ever in the news watched a protest, a protest going on and then it begins to swirl and mount and it begins out of control? This is what is happening here. And it's a series of confrontations that Jesus has. He confronts them about the darkness that's in their life. He confronts them about the truth that they think they know, but they actually don't know. The truth. And it's a difficult saying. Chapter 8 is austere. It's, 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 it's serious. It's, it's this it's pressure. And I want us to feel that this morning. It's, it's, there's pressure going on here. But I also want us to know that Jesus is doing this not just to make people feel ashamed. He's not doing this just to expose light and say, look at you. Look at who you really are. He's doing this because he cares and loves for them. He doesn't want them to remain in darkness. He doesn't want, to believe, he doesn't want them to, to live out the delusions and the lies and the deceit. He wants them to be liberated and freed and to walk into the light and to know who they really are in him. But, and he loves them and he loves us so much that he is willing to confront them. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time that you've been confronted by somebody? And I'm not talking about a boss confronts you for being late. I'm not talking about a teacher confronts you about your grades that are slipping. I'm talking about somebody, a spouse, 
a best friend, a mentor, a pastor, somebody close, or some other relationship in the context of mutual care and love when they confronted you about a character flaw or they confronted you about some deep-seated sin in your life or they confronted you about this illusion that you're living and they are able to see something and they've come to you and they've confronted you about it lovingly how did that make you feel? Did you feel vulnerable? Did you, like these, these people, feel vengeful? Were you angry? Were you confused? Were you repentant? How did you feel? What I want us to see is that even though confrontation in, in our life, but when Jesus confronts us through the word, through the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, through our pastors that love and care for us, when he convicts us, even though, it, I mean, when he confronts us, even though it seems hard, it is done in love. It's done in love. My son, the other day, he was in our kitchen, and we have, we live in a Brooklyn apartment, and so we have a really small kitchen. We call it a, a one rear end kitchen. You know, only one person can be in it at any time. It's a small kitchen. We fit a few more than that, but it's still tiny. And my, my, I'm cooking, and I, I think I got a teapot going. I'm doing some, I'm cooking some bacon. Breakfast is going. So like all the burners are on. And my son Isaac, he's just tiny, and he kind of sneaks in, and he wants to grab at the bacon. And I grab his hand, and I throw it down. I say, no, Isaac, and I scream at him. And he puffs up his little chest, and he steps back like he knows what's going on. He's like, how you going to step to me like that? You know, how are you going to say that to me? I know what I'm doing. I confronted him. He didn't like it. But I confronted him because he was about to hurt himself. And what we need to see in this text this morning is that Jesus confronts these people and ultimately he confronts you and I because he loves us. So let's open up our hearts, let's open up our minds, and let's see what God has to say to us from love. Okay. We see in this text that Jesus confronts these people and ultimately confronts us in three ways. First, he confronts our idols. This is going to be a fun one. He confronts the truth of who we are, and he confronts us with himself. Look at verse 52 and 53 with me. And the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. An interesting way to have a conversation with somebody. Now we know you have a demon. Try that out next time. See how that conversation goes. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, they will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? In this chapter, which remember is one long conversation, the Jews, these religious leaders, continue to remind Jesus that they are the seed of Abraham. That they are the chosen people. That their father is Abraham. And essentially what they are saying is that we put our confidence and our trust in the lineage and the heritage in which that we have, not in Jesus. Not in God. Because Jesus then says, if you did believe God and if you did know God, you would rejoice with your father Abraham on the day of my coming. 
He said, if you do know God and if you did love God, you would rejoice in God because I am God and I am here, just like your father Abraham was looking. He said, but yet you don't know God. And so therefore they had erected and they had created an idol in their life. We got to ask ourselves in this, because we live in a postmodern pluralistic world. When we think of idols, we think of people that graven images and weird kind of things that people bow down and pay homage to, this is not the biblical idol that we're talking about. An idol is something that takes the place of God in your heart and life. That, take, that you desire more than God, that you want more than God, that you look to more than God. Anything that absorbs your mind, your will, your emotions, the thing, that one thing that you have to have, that's an idol. And Jesus confronts that. He says to them, we know God because we're the seed of Abraham. But yet Jesus emphasizes, when he emphasizes the closeness of who he is, the closeness that he has with the Father, the closeness and the relationship that he has with God, they don't believe, they don't repent, they pick up stones to cast at him. Because that's the one thing that they wanted and Jesus was coming after it. Why do we, you and I, if we can be honest, why do we, you and I grasp for things in our heart, grasp for things to fill our hearts that, are not of, that aren't Jesus? Why do we grasp at those things? Because we, like this, our first parents, Adam and Eve, I don't believe that God is actually good. So we take the forbidden fruit and we eat of it and we grasp at that one thing that we think that fill us. And much to our horror, we find out that what we thought was gain is actually loss. And brothers and sisters, the truth, this lie that we fall into and this lie that we continue, that God is not good and he's not going to fill us, it continues on throughout the entire Bible. We have never really gotten over it. Adam and Eve grabbed for it because they didn't believe that God was going to provide nor who's good, so they took the fruit. Abraham and Sarah didn't believe that God was going to provide for them, so they did all sorts of crazy things. Isaac, not believing that God was going to bless him, stole his brother's birthright. Peter, not believing that God was going to be with him and going to love him and to care for him and to remain with him, rejected God in the end. We have this fear that God isn't going to be good, that God is not going to fill us, that God is not going to create and give us the longings of our heart. So therefore, we grasp at things that we believe are going to do that. And this is not new. We do, we do this all the time. Why does God confront these things? Why does God confront these idols in our heart? Because he knows they're not going to satisfy. He knows that they're not going to bring the desired end that we thought and we hoped for. He knows that. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that too. Because we've all had that one thing that we had to have. 
That one thing that said, if I can get that, if I can obtain that, if I can reach that, if I can have that, then everything will be fine. What happened? It didn't fail us. It didn't meet the longing that we thought it would. And so what happens? We look for something else. We reach for another thing. We try to find one more thing. The grass may be greener on the other side, we tell ourselves. And this is new. This is not new, friends. I do this. I've done this most of my life. We all do this. And Jesus confronts this. He comes to us and says, let me fill you. Let me love you. Because I am where true satisfaction is found. I can feel the whole. I can feel the longing. I can do that. So Jesus confronts the idols in our heart. Jesus also confronts us with the truth of who we are. Not forgetting that chapters 7 and 8 are one long conversation, one difficult series of confrontations, I think it's important for us to kind of look at that really quickly to see how this escalates and see how this builds. First, the crowds, in the beginning of chapter 7, the crowds question, can this be the Christ? So there's, there's the stirring going on. Is this he? Is this the one that they've been talking about? Is this the Christ? Then what happens is, is Jesus tells the crowds that if anyone thirsts, let him come to him and drink. And if you believe, you'll never thirst again. And out of him shall flow the rivers of living water. Thus far, no tension. Thus far, it's just normal conversation. Then Jesus confronts the religious leaders with their unforgiveness when they come in the middle of the temple and present to them a woman that had been caught in the act of adultery and said, what are you going to do? And Jesus looks at them and says, well, he who is without sin cast the first stone. So he confronts the unforgiveness in their life. Jesus confronts the darkness of their hearts by saying that you are slave to darkness because I am the true light and you reject me. He confronts the darkness. And then Jesus tells them that they are ultimately slaves to sin and that they need to be free. And then he goes on further. And look at with me in verse chapter. Well, you don't have it, so let me read it. I'm sorry, it's not in your... I'll read it. But if you have your pew Bible, it's verse 42. And Jesus said to them, If God were not your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not... By my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? <laughs> Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? You are of your father the devil, and you... And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and his father, father of lies. But I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. Let's, let's grasp this one for a second. These are God's chosen people. These are the seed of Abraham. They have the confidence in this. We are God's people. And he, Abraham is our father. And Jesus looks at them and says, You think of your father? You are of your father. Your father the devil. <laughs> wow. That's hard to say. 
Why does Jesus say this? Because he wants them to see that who you think you are, you're not really. (laughs) Who you think you know, you really don't know. And Jesus confronts them with the truth of who they are. Let me ask you something. What is it about truth that we don't like? Is that when we're kind of confronted with the truth, it might expose us and we don't like to feel that way? Is it when we're confronted with the truth of who we might be or the things that we struggle with, and we all do, that we actually don't want to give that thing up? And the light comes and sheds upon, comes down upon that one thing, that area in our heart and life. We don't want to give that thing up. And Jesus comes and he confronts us with the truth. And why, dear friends, why does he do this? Because he loves us. And I know that it doesn't necessarily always feel like love. But he loves us enough to tell us the truth. The Bible says... Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Does that seem antithetical, paradoxical? Faithful are the wounds of a friend? What that is essentially saying is a friend, somebody that really loves you, somebody that really cares about you, will tell you the truth. They'll tell you the truth. And it's a wound and it hurts. But from that, we grow. I have had people in my life that have told me the truth. I was a young, hotshot church planner. I loved, I loved my job. I loved what I was doing. I was young. I was naive. But I was full of zeal. And there was a, an older gentleman that came to me that knew me, loved me, and said... What is it about this that you love? And I begin to list all of these things. And he said, do you you find it interesting that everything that you listed has to do something with how you receive some sort of accolade? How you receive some sort of recognition? Why are you in this position? What are you longing to fill? Time out, dude. What are you saying? Did I get angry? Yeah, I got angry. Did I get defensive? You better believe it. Because he was attacking the one thing I didn't want to give up. He was shedding light upon the one thing that was mine. I went home that night. I was laying in my bed and I began to think about it. And my heart broke. You're right. He's right. Something that started out good, something that started out a zeal and a love for Jesus turned into something that I had created for myself. And I can honestly tell you, the only reason that I'm able to stand here today is because somebody confronted me with the truth. That they told me in love, you're heading down a wrong path. You're doing things for the wrong reasons. And I love you enough to maybe willing to lose the relationship that I might have with you, to be honest. And Jesus does that with us. He loves us enough to tell us the truth. 
Now Jesus, last and final, Jesus confronts us with himself. Now immediately that sounds a little odd and a little off-putting. Jesus confronts us with himself? Yeah, he does. Because Jesus' entrance into the world was really an, a complex intrusion with a lot of different implications. Jesus came, look at me with verse, uh, look at me in verse 58. Jesus came to these men, and he's talking to these Jewish leaders, and he's having these conversations, and this, my friends, is the mic drop moment. You know, at the end of the conversation, Jesus kind of just opens it up, drops the mic, and is like, this is the mic drop moment right here. And he says, here it is. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> Immediately the Jews would know that this was the secret kept name of Yahweh. The name that God presented himself in front of Moses at the burning bush experience. And he came to them and said, who do I go to tell, to tell Pharaoh who you are? And say, I am sent you. Jesus said, you know what? You're looking for Abraham before Abraham. I was. I am. I was there. I'm pre-existent, all eternal. It's... And then he just looks at them and says, I'm God. And they pick up stones to cast at him. Why? Jesus confronting himself with him, confronting us with himself is something difficult. Because the only way we respond to God is extremely. Nobody likes Jesus if they know who he is. If people walk around, you can walk around our culture right now, you can walk around and you could ask people, do you like Jesus? And they might say, yeah, I kind of like him. He's a moral leader. He's good. He was a good moral teacher, smart guy, had cool pithy sayings, something to think about. I like it. It seemed like he liked to, he was just gentle and sweet and kind, and he is. But if you know who he is, you don't just say, I like him. Oh yeah, that's my homeboy. He's a good guy. You don't say that. John Stott, in his little book called Basic Christianity, says that there are three reactions when you read the Bible to who Jesus was, when he, people were confronted with who he was. One, you hated him. We see that here. They picked up stones to throw and they hated him. The other, you run away in terror. And the third, you're willing to sacrifice and give everything to him because he captivates your heart. The Puritans say, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Think about that. That you either, your heart becomes hardened, or your heart melts in his presence. He confronts us with the person of who he is because he wants to bring us to a place of decision. But what he ultimately wants us to see is that he is the one that came down to be with us. 
that he is the one that came down and emptied himself to be in our stormy, sinful humanity, and that he comes to us in love face to face and says, I am he. Love me and follow me. Give your heart to me. He says, I am. And that I am is the truth and the light of the world. And those of, the, of those of us who follow I am live in the light and the truth. They too can say that I am, that I am free because I have discovered the I am. I have discovered the one. And, I have dis- and that he loves me despite of my brokenness, despite of my, moral- in my immortality. And he loves me in the light of the beauty of who I am. I don't know about you, friends, but when I was reading through this and studying this out, it just seemed like hammer blows, one right after another. It might have felt like that this morning. It might have just felt like, man, this is a really hard saying. And it is. But this is what I'm convinced of. That sometimes what our hard hearts need is a hard saying. And that deep healing requires deep wounds. What what is all of this about? Jesus confronting our idols. Jesus confronting us with the person of who he is. Jesus confronting us about the truth of who we are. What What is being exposed here? What is it saying about us? It's saying that we're afraid... We're afraid that God's not going to fill us. We're afraid that God's not going to love us. We're afraid that God's not going to give us the things that we think we want and need. And we're afraid. As part of application, I think this is what we need to think about. Is that we need to just be honest about what we're afraid of. We need to be honest about what we fear. Some of us fear that we're ugly. Some of us fear that... Our life is not going to mean anything. Some of us fear sickness. Some of us fear that everyone around us knows how to do it, and yet we don't. And if we could just find that one mommy blog to teach us how to be a good parent, that'd be the silver bullet. We fear. We fear death. We fear that we're going to be rejected. We fear that maybe our kids one day might reject us. We just fear. And I think the truth, friends, is that we need to just be honest about our fears first. Just live in that light. Ask yourself, what am I afraid of? And begin to tell people. In context of love and relationship, people that you know, talk about those things. And you know what you're going to find out? That we're all afraid of something. All of us. We're all afraid. And then what we need to do is we need to begin to then look at the character of Jesus. Pick up the Bible. Look at John. Look at Mark, Matthew, look at one of those, and look at Jesus. Look at how he responds to the crowds. Look at how he interacts with people. And then you'll say, you know what? This is the one that heals. This is the one that restores. This is the one that comes to the people that have rejected him, his own people, and yet he still pleads. This is that one. You begin to look at him. And begin to feast on him. 
And let your hearts be filled with the only satisfaction that can be found in this world, and that's in Jesus. That's it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you are willing to love us enough to confront us with the truth of who we are and who we would be without you. We thank you for that love. We thank you that you are faithful when we are not, that you are merciful when we are not, that you continue to run us down when we long and try to run away. We ask that you continue to pursue us with your love, that you begin, to, you continue to tell us the things that we need to hear so that we can turn to you in love, turn to you knowing that you love us and care for us and help us to see that. Help us to see that you are love, that you love us so that we wouldn't grasp for things anymore, that we would just long and look to you. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name.